How in the world do you celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? Have any of you ever planned a birthday party? How would you celebrate something this momentous, this glorious, Jesus Christ? Yet we do it every year. We'll, in a few days, we'll get up at the Broadway household and we'll have family over and the kids will run out of their rooms. We'll put the little miniature Jesus figurine in the manger and talk about Jesus's birth and we'll pray together and thank God for Jesus's birth. And then we'll go and open presents and give gifts and receive gifts. And I'm sure many of you have the exact same things going on, especially if you have young children at home, uh, which is awesome to have young children at home this time of year. And the family will be around and we'll be enjoying the fellowship and we'll share meals together. It's going to be great. But what I would like to suggest to you this morning is that the very best way to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate Jesus Christ, is to listen to him and respond to him. Is to hear his words and respond, to receive what he has said and respond to it. That's the very best way to celebrate Christmas. That's foundational. Everything else is icing on top of the cake. But we want to really celebrate Jesus, not just the cultural phenomenon of Christmas. We want to celebrate Jesus. And so I'd like to read to you from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And what we're going to hear in those two verses is Jesus' first public address, his first sermon. Now, I want you to think of all the intensity that you have put into your Christmas preparation. All of the planning, all of the shopping, all of the worrying about finances, all of the uh, phone calls to make arrangements with family. When are we going to eat over there? When are we going to eat over there? All the grocery lists, all the cooking that you will be doing, all the presents that you still need to wrap, all that energy. That collective energy that, that you have put into preparing to celebrate Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you now to put that same amount of energy into listening to his words now. Put that same amount of intense focus into hearing his voice and responding to it now. As I read to you from Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. Now after John... John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray together before we study this passage. Father, we are sitting before Jesus Christ now. These are his words. Please help us to receive them as such. Please help us to be soft-hearted and to receive them and to truly celebrate Christ this Christmas. We invite you now to... Do the work in our hearts that you would choose to do this Christmas. To rearrange 
things, to open our eyes to things we've been blind to. We are moldable clay in your hands now. Please do your work through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This very short sermon has really only four points. He has two assertions and then two commands. Do you see those in there? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. I just want to take each of these four points very simply and for us just to observe, just look at them. Like you might look at a beautiful Christmas tree. Just look at this sermon from Jesus Christ. First, the time is fulfilled. Christmas is a celebration of the fulfilled time. Christmas is the celebration of the fulfilled time. He comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. If you've been in church much in your life, you know that the word gospel means good news. Christmas is essentially about news. And what is the news? It's news about time coming to completion, about a wait being over. What's the longest you've ever waited for something? Something that you've really anticipated. Do you remember what it felt like to be a child waiting for Christmas morning? Some of you children are in here right now. Doesn't it seem like a long time you've been waiting? You've been waiting. You've seen the gifts under the tree. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And then Christmas morning, you'll come out and the time will have been fulfilled. The waiting will be over. That's essentially the first piece of Jesus' sermon. The waiting is over. The time is fulfilled. Now, as long as it may have seemed like it is taking to get to your presence, I'm talking to you like your children now. I know that, that uh, not all of us have that gleeful childlike expectation, but you should. The time that God's people had been waiting for Jesus Christ was exponentially longer. And the anticipation they had waiting for Jesus Christ was exponentially greater. We're talking centuries, centuries. Especially since in Genesis, when the very first promise that there was going to come a savior was spoken. And can you imagine you're waiting for something to come, waiting your entire life. And then you pass away and a new generation takes up the baton of waiting. And their generation passes away and a new generation and a new generation waiting, 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 waiting. And then Christmas, we celebrate the news, the time is fulfilled. The waiting is over. But the waiting for what? Well, he goes on. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Christmas is a celebration of the fulfilled time. It's also a celebration of the at-hand kingdom. It's a celebration of the kingdom of God. Now, I know this idea of kingdom is a foggy one to us. We don't think in terms of kingdoms. Um, we're a representative democracy. We went through great pains to get away from a king a long time ago. That's what we just celebrated at Thanksgiving. I know when you think of kingdoms, you first want to think geographical. A kingdom usually is located in a geographical confined space. And I think part of what makes the kingdom of God such a difficult concept is that it's not geographical in nature. 
But I think this may help you. Um, Instead of thinking of the kingdom in terms of a geographical domain, be more true to the original language of the word kingdom and think of it more in terms of a rule or a reign. Because when the Bible refers to the kingdom of God, it's not talking about a land. It's talking about God's rule in the hearts and minds of his people. That's what the Bible means by the kingdom of God. It's God's rule in the hearts and minds of men and women. So Christmas is a celebration of God's rule in the hearts and minds of people being established. That baby in a manger is not just sort of a human lucky rabbit's foot. That baby is is not even an angel or a prophet. It's not even just a great man of God. That angel is the true king that all humanity has been waiting for. That baby is the true king that all of humanity has been waiting for. And that desire is in you for the true king. And we see it in all of our literature from uh, you know, Robin Hood. I remember watching the cartoon Robin Hood with the fox. And they're, and they're waiting for the good king to return. To the Lord of the Rings, some of you may have powered through those books. Many more of you probably watched the movies. The reason these things are classics is because they tap into that desire for the return of the true king. The Lion King, maybe if you're not into Lord of the Rings. Or all those inspirational coach movies that I love so much. We long to see a leader come onto the scene who can, who can do it. We long to see a leader who can make things right. Who can bring us together. Who can bring unity where there's discord. Who can bring healing where there's brokenness. You know, C.S. Lewis said that there is no longing in humanity that does not have a corresponding solution. The longings are put there for a reason because... They find their solution in Jesus Christ. That longing that stirred up every election cycle. Maybe this time we're going to get the president with a capital P. The one that's going to make it right. And we're always disappointed. Because there is no man that can fulfill that longing. Except for the true king, Jesus Christ. Imagine the effect that it would have over our country, let's say, to have a leader that had the characteristics of what Jeff read from Isaiah a little bit ago. That famous Christmas passage, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Imagine the effect of having a leader like that that's known as the Wonderful Counselor. Wise, warm, mighty God. Imagine the effect of having a a king, a leader, who's known as mighty God. Strength beyond any strength we've ever known. Imagine. Everlasting father. A leader who can heal all the wounds left by all the fatherlessness of our culture. Prince of peace. A leader who can put the broken pieces together and give us wholeness again as a people, as individuals. That's what we want and that's what we have in Jesus Christ. That's why the coming kingdom is good news. It's great news. Christmas is a celebration 
that the king is here. And he's establishing his rule in the hearts of men and women. He's establishing his kingdom. So what then are we to do? He gives two actions, two commands. The first one is repent. Repent means basically to turn. So I want to invite you to celebrate this Christmas by turning toward the true king. Now this idea of repentance, I know your, your first instinct probably is like mine and you think I'm talking specifically about turning from sin. Stop sinning, start not sinning. But it's much bigger than that. You see, the essential problem with humanity is that we want to be our own kings. That's always been the problem. We want to be sovereign over our own lives. We make these little wimpy wooden crowns and we wear them around like we're in charge, like we know what's best, like we're sovereign, and we're not. And when Jesus says, repent, he's saying, put down your little toy crown and come and serve and be loyal to and give your allegiance to the true king. That's what repentance is. It's turn from living according to your own small understanding to living according to the king's understanding. Turn from living your small life with your small priorities to living by the king's cosmic priorities. You think of yourself as a royal flag bearer. You were born waving your own little flag one of those little miniature ones. And when God says, repent, he's saying, just give me that. Take up my flag. Be loyal to me. Give your allegiance to me as the true king. So this Christmas, to celebrate, consider whose flag are you waving? Who has your loyalty, your allegiance? Is it the true king? And then finally, I want to invite you to celebrate by trusting the king. He says, repent, And believe in the gospel. So the best way to celebrate Christmas is to listen to him and turn and trust the new king. Now, this is going to be tricky because there's children in the room. But I always like to contrast Santa belief with Jesus Christ belief. Because I think it helps us to understand what it means. Okay? Santa belief says, by the power of my belief, he will be enabled to do what he needs to do. Has anybody seen Elf? That's a modern holiday classic. If you haven't seen it, you should. But in Elf, the problem is there's not enough Christmas spirit. There's not enough belief. And so the reindeer can't fly. And the sled keeps going down. And so they have to sing Christmas carols to stir up belief. And in stirring up their belief, they enable Santa Claus to succeed. Okay? That's Santa belief. Now, Jesus' belief is something altogether different. Santa belief is is wishful thinking sort of belief. Jesus' belief is more like commitment. It's more like entrusting yourself. Jesus' belief is, is defecting from the small kingdom of yourself in this world and entering the kingdom of God where you will give your absolute loyalty and allegiance to Jesus as the king. It creates real change. It's trusting him for eternal life, salvation from our sins, bought by Jesus on the cross. And it's also entrusting yourself to him for daily life, wisdom with what to do, understanding how to prioritize your life, 
how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a parent, how to be an employee, all the details. It covers everything. Now, as I conclude my feeble remarks on Jesus' powerful sermon, I want you to consider the ridiculousness of celebrating Jesus without turning and trusting him as the king. If he's not legitimately the king, as everything in scripture claims, what are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? It's like an Englishman celebrating the 4th of July with fireworks. What are you so happy about? But if we're, if we're in there, if we're citizens of the kingdom, man, we have everything to celebrate. This is the 4th of July times a thousand. So start with this. You know, I know Christmas can be exhausting. Christmas can be stressful. Christmas can be devastating for those of us who are suffering through loss. It can be um, a sad time. It can be difficult. It can be completely distracting. It can go by like the snap of your fingers. I mean, can you believe it's Christmas Sunday right now? I just want you to take a moment now as the choir sings their next song. I want you to take a moment. Remember Jesus as the king. We want to celebrate him as the king. We want to remember that the time has been fulfilled and it still is fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is still at hand. After the choir sings, we're going to partake in communion. Now, Jesus never told us to celebrate Christmas, but he did tell us to observe communion. Communion is his chosen symbol for us to remember him as the king who gave his life for us, his subjects. We recognize his body broken for us, his blood spilled for us. And I know for some of you, you are trusting. You have turned, you are turning. The turning and trusting is a daily thing and and you are. And communion for you is just a joyous and joyous thing because it's like a, uh, a loving couple renewing their wedding vows. It's just beautiful. And for you, I just say rejoice in it, enjoy it. Some of us, We are Christians, but we've been wandering our own paths. We've put our little wooden crowns back on. And for you, this may be a bit more of a firm but loving reminder to come back, turn back. You may, during this time as you prepare for communion, need to do some work with your Lord in prayer. There may be some repentance that you need to do with him. Some among us, are Christians by name only and have never transferred our allegiance to Jesus Christ in any real way. Some of us have always had questions that have not yet been answered and we've just never even called ourselves Christians yet. For those in those two categories, let this be the first step. Maybe you're feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit in your heart that you want to be a part of this kingdom. You want to worship this king. Let this communion be your first step of allegiance to him. Turn now. Trust now. I'd like to pray for us and then I'll 
invite the ushers to take their place at the front pew here. And the choir is going to sing another very moving song. And I want to invite you to use that time to be preparing your hearts for communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that there is no more waiting. That he came, that the kingdom is here now, it's at hand, and it's spreading across the globe. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. Lord, anything that stands in the way of us truly worshiping and celebrating Jesus as our king this Christmas, please remove that now during this time. So that when we take these these simple little communion elements that it could be a pure, holy, sacred moment between us and Jesus. Perhaps the most special moment of our entire Christmas celebration. Lord, would you please do all these things that we need in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.